Hey, I'm Yannick Gwizdala, and you're listening to the Yannick Gwizdala podcast. Before we get into the podcast, if you're looking for some inspiration to populate your practice routine with, we are running an amazing offer right now. Our entire catalog of audio courses, they are all 12 part courses with sheet music. We're running a special offer of eight for the price of one. It's the entire catalog for the price of one. So go to store.yannickguizdala.com to check out this deal. Okay, welcome to Tea with Yannick Guizdala. <laughs> <laughs> tea time, tea time, Pontiac, Pontiac. The irony, the, the irony being that I've never tasted tea or coffee in my entire life. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's one of my best friends, Bob Reynolds, tenor saxophone player, composer, sideman, band leader, you name it. Um, I just got done sitting down with him for, for what is going to be an epic uh, episode of the podcast. We talk about everything from touring with John Mayer to playing wedding gigs in New York to the pressures of playing on live TV, to working with Mike League and Snarky Puppy, and everything in between. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. This is, this is my conversation with Bob Reynolds. I find that, uh, well, I don't want to get off topic, but just- There the, is no topic. Oh, okay. That's the beauty of it. Gotcha. Just don't ever think, you know. Well, what I was going to say is, uh, you know, like you can see that thing on the wall right Oh, there. yeah, I noticed it when I came in. So I, I mean, I've been making lessons and whatnot for years. And so I've done it all different ways, like totally riffing off the top of my head and really yeah. detailed planning down to like putting everything in a spreadsheet, never really scripting out. I think that's not my yeah. vibe. But in terms of organization, like, oh, I'll just riff for a long time and edit later or I'll really plan and shoot in chunks and you know I, I all that kind of stuff but <clears throat> I've found that speaking of do-overs like it's almost faster if I just do something over entirely rather than try to um kind of piece edit it, to, piece it together piece it together later like in the process of doing it it might seem like it takes longer it might take an hour yeah. but an hour is better than four hours you know i mean it just like if i if i do it and then do it again and by the third time maybe the fourth time now i'm it's like it's like being in the studio and recording a solo it's like you get a little piece and you're like oh that i messed up but i want to keep that one part right. which is not necessarily a good thing right but you know what i'm saying but it but it but it, it lends to the professional element of the final product. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I go to great lengths for all of the pieces of the you know audio, video, whatever to be to be good. But you know, when I when I started, um, well, I, things have developed over the years in terms of equipment and, and all of that course. kind of stuff. But there, I I've, I've we, always we like, started like unbeknownst to each other with the video lessons thing like around the same week mm -hmm. or rather you were about to launch and then you took two days to teach me how to use right, wordpress right. yeah I, i'll never forget being on the phone with you and you showing me your website and saying like okay you see this box on the right hand side right yeah okay now refresh your page and it changed to something else so like, i was like whoa what just that quick right 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 i said are you like a coding genius you're like no i use wordpress why don't you come by you know right right and yeah. here we are we sat was, at my kitchen table oh my god in that apartment and, and yeah. that older that your old place i remember it so because well. actually i remember you asked i think you first asked me to do it for it to build a thing for you exactly you, you had like something else you were going to do some audio thing well, here's the thing that's why this this you having you on this podcast is so fitting because it was the podcast that I had. Like right. I'd already been you had doing Pod the, Bean or something. Exactly. Like, I was you know, yeah. the podcast was on iTunes. This yeah. pop very podcast I'd started in 07 mm -hmm. and now fast forward to that week at your kitchen table is right. the second week of December in 2010. Correct. Yes. I remember I launched on Christmas Eve on the twenty okay. fourth that year, and you had launched just December second was my was your day. okay. So yeah. we're a few weeks apart, yeah. and um. And what I had proposed to do, I thought I'd had a lot of success with the podcast. I'd had 100,000 downloads right. of this podcast. And I was like, well, it's only been audio. Mm -hmm. Let me switch to video. Let me make it premium content and charge a dollar. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember me telling yes. you this because yeah. I remember your response. And it was basically like, you idiot. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Like, just stop. I mean, you didn't put it. That's right, me. Right, right. That's the Gwizdala filter <laughs> yeah. on the Reynolds yeah. comment. Let, let's make that very clear. Um, <laughs> I think mine was probably more like, really? 
Yeah, Are you exactly. Sure? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was quite reserved. <laughs> but instead of just saying, "Really, are you sure?" and leaving it, you came up with, "Well, look, why don't you have a subscription thing and right. this and that?" And you show me like a few things about marketing. Like you can't possibly. I thought right. hundred thousand people following my podcast charge a dollar. I'm gonna make a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Wrong. Of course. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. Like how wrong could you be? Mm-hmm. You know. So I played a little catch up to you in that sense the Brendan Bouchard thing like following all these entrepreneur guys right and then I guess like six months later we were sort of operating at similar paces and were firing the phone calls were just so long Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I remember that. <laughs> you know, Nora would be re- reluctant to pass the phone to you when yeah, I called yeah. because she'd be like, oh boy, here mm-hmm. we go. Another two hours of scheming, like how are we going to improve this thing? Yeah, well, a couple of people had asked me, you being one of them, to, to do it for them. Right. And I knew, knowing you, I knew that like I would... It, I wasn't going to do it for you, but I knew that if I showed you, if I opened the door, you'd, yeah, you showed me one percent of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'll rock the rest. <laughs> figure it out. I mean, you know, yeah. And, so. and that, I mean, that's the reason you're a musician now. What came about was because so many people ended up asking me, like, how do you do this? You know, uh-huh. will you do it for me? Right. You know, and I was like, I can't keep having that conversation over and over again. So I wrote the book. About yeah, it, yeah. Know? And I, I've seen people over the years actually, t- in with different instruments and whatever different things, like, you know. T- try to I think I've even seen some things people who probably read your book and uh-huh. then try, but you know the, at the end of the day like it always comes down to hard work oh. you know and that's the a lot of people think up front like oh let me just do that I'll just add that to my you know good luck buddy yeah exactly and <laughs> I, I, I am always... six years in like I'm working as hard tonight on a Friday yeah uh, for the lesson that I'm doing for tomorrow as I as I ever have right you as know? you did six years ago launching yeah, the thing yeah. when we had 20 videos or not even right, you know right. to start the thing out with um yeah and and um you know a, a few people have asked me as well and I've I've passed on you know I've paid forward your advice in no I'm not going to do it for you mm-hmm. but I will show you how it works you know, my buddy Cliff Armand, the drama was that right. way. And he's like, man, I want to get into it. Will you do it for me? And I was like, nope. Right. But you can call me day and night. Right. Which he did. Yeah. A bunch of times, you yeah. know. And uh, and I'm glad he did. And he did it all himself. And being able to maintain that yourself. And I say good luck to people really honestly meaning it. Like, mm-hmm. we make fun of like, hey, good luck, buddy. Right. I say good luck, man. Like, but this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, yeah, very few people seem to be cut out for it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, you know. I could show you, I actually have, um, I don't know where it is right now, but I have a, a video. My mom put some stuff on DVD from when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Like, uh, so I would have, I was probably 13 cause I started playing the saxophone when I was 13 and it was a video of me playing. It was, I was like making a Christmas video. So it was me in the living room in Florida. I just started playing the saxophone and I'm playing the saxophone in front of a camera and microphone and I'm trying to do jingle bells but I, I don't know I'm trying it was like it was like the second alto part in a Yamaha beginning band book so instead of like the melody to jingle bells it's like do 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 or something like that and but I have a microphone and there's a camera because I before I was into music I was into making videos like that was my first thing so I so it's a video of me standing in a living room in front of a fireplace with the mantle behind me, all like symmetrical and and I and I keep go over and over. I'm like, okay, and for my next piece, I'm gonna do Jingle Bell Rock or something. I keep introducing it and stop and stopping because I screw up because I can barely play the saxophone right. over and over and over again. And I saw that not too long ago. And and you know when you're saying like very few people are cut out for it, like I've I've realized it's like oh my gosh, actually for me, not only am I cut out for it, it's like this crazy full, full circle, circle yeah. of where I started, you know? So like I, I was into the video stuff back before, man, if I was a, a kid now with all the, th- with like th- all the tools that are so cheap, you buy a MacBook, you know, you can use GarageBand on a phone. I'm holding up my phone right now. It's I mean, insane. It's I mean, I had an Amiga computer yeah. with like a Commodore. It was like right after the Commodore 64, 64 and a dot matrix printer and a VHS camera and a like eight millimeter camera. And I was using VCRs like slave to master, meaning, yep. you know, like one VC, <laughs> like you're, you're pressing pause and play on one VCR while you're like yeah. fast forwarding and rewinding on the other. Yeah. I mean, primitive stuff, yeah, yeah. you know, because everything was, and was I had, was available. I had the equivalent of like a B&H catalog 
analog for whatever the audio video thing at, right. at that time was. You know, and every piece of Sears equipment was like <laughs> started at eight hundred dollars. You right. know, from a mail order catalog. Yeah. There's no Amazon. I mean, yeah. it's mind blowing what's what's like available now. Yeah. So, so the thing I try to remind myself of constantly is is to just think back to my younger self. Like anytime I feel. You know, I, I, on, a, on a trip to New York a couple of weeks ago, I actually took out my laptop and I fired up GarageBand right. for the sole purpose of using um, the, uh, like if you press caps lock or something, okay. a, a, a little, little digital keyboard, keyboard exactly. comes up. Yeah. And it's actually become so sophisticated now that if you're good at typing, like yep. a QWERTY yep. keyboard, you can, like I was I was programming beats. It started with me programming beats <laughs> and then just little, like I added, and by the, by yeah. the time I landed in New York, I had a whole track, yeah, you yeah. know, and it was just in GarageBand and I found myself like, you know, then digging like, well, you know, because GarageBand, they go a long way to hide stuff so that it doesn't overwhelm people. Right. But really, under the if you under the hood, yeah. you can access all the same stuff you have in like Logic, Logic or yeah. whatever. All these plugins, you just have to know how to hunt for yeah, them. Yeah. The point being, um, a lot of all these amazing things that I have at my disposal now that lie that lie dormant. Yeah. That you take for granted. Oh, well, They're, right before we started tracking, I asked you if you had the new the Keyscape thing. Right. And you said, "Well, I have stylus. I haven't used it in ages. Uh, without a without a use for it. Yeah. yeah. Without a without a use for it. So I mean, yeah, like I it's it's incredible the the stuff that's available now. But at the end of the day, you know, whether you're talking about audio recording gear, video recording gear, or instruments, musical yeah. gear. Everybody wants to talk about gear, but very oh, few people time. are interested in what the the what you, what has to happen to make that stuff right. in, do something interesting with it, right? Absolutely. You know, so um, that's always, that's like always the I mean, I remember, part. you know, when I first moved to New York, I, 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 one of my regrets was not taking classes at Berkeley like MP&E when we were right. there or how to do your taxes as a musician or right. all those classes that were available that were yeah. now I think, wow, I wish I'd studied music production engineering. Right. I remember getting to New York and, and getting a used Apple laptop, Pismo, the black one. I think yeah. it had zero memory. Yeah. At least it felt now it feels like it had zero memory. And an original version of Logic with no plugins, just the basic ones. Yeah. And producing that my old logic, the like the old seven or, or six or something. Four point three. Oh wow! Dude, yeah, okay. yeah, my the roommate gray one. was an original programmer for E Magic for Logic. Oh, E Magic, right? Exactly. So he was one of the original German guys who yeah, wrote yeah, code yeah. and was a consultant or something with them. So I got a copy through him. I couldn't have afforded it yeah. otherwise, because it was it used to be a thousand dollars. Oh my I, god! I finally got the money together and bought and it. And bought it, right? And two months later, they released the $200 version, but or maybe three months later, yeah. it was late enough that I had to then pay for the upgrade right. to, uh, I wanted to yeah. punch Apple in the face. Unbelievable. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, and I remember producing my first record Yeah. for Blue Note on that computer with no interface, with one microphone with the eighth inch input and yeah. nothing in between. None of the I remember stuff. coming over to your apartment and seeing you doing oh, that and I was mystified by that. like, you were slicing drum beats up and stuff. Exactly. And, I was like, and like I compressing no them and using delays and distortions, all this stuff, like the yeah. most basic, like you talk about hunting around, yeah. but using it to its maximum potential. Right. Fast forward to YouTube. Yeah, and then you had tool. to you had to oh. like bounce things in place to to free up memory. Oh, exactly. I had right. No memory. I couldn't yeah. run twenty tracks. So yeah, I had to print things. Yeah, yeah. Put them aside and do something. We would, me and you, would record on that. Yeah. Booba data don't bump. Yeah, this? I do Boom. Boom. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this track. We did so many things. Like I had the little with horn that lap laptop with yeah. that laptop and the yeah. one microphone. Um, but yeah, but fast forward to something a tool that is as powerful as YouTube, and we're, we're using like maybe a quarter of one percent of its true potential. You know what I mean? Like we put videos up there and we, right. we, 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 we use it, but we don't, a lot of people don't use it to its maximum potential. When you compare us right. to video gamers, for instance, right. who own the YouTube universe mm -hmm. in terms of views and audience retention and all this stuff, we're only scratching the surface, I think, as musicians, right. which is always, what's your feedback from, from students in terms of, the power of something like YouTube now, you know, because I know the way you and I grew up listening to things and transcribing things off physical media, off CDs and right. cassette tapes and vinyl. Yeah, you know, and, and I still do. oh, I see them right there, <laughs> big wall of them. Yeah, I just, I, I and just, a, and the the the, the thing mini I had disc, in college, the, the mini, the mini disc disc standalone. Yeah. yeah, the CD, but I have it at that height for the very reason that I can stand next to it and it's still it's still faster for me to do it that way than 
anytime I get into tried to looping, you know, I know there's yeah. software like Transcribe, and yeah. I've I've made loops in Logic and GarageBand, all this sure. stuff. There's just something about like that. It's just the rewind button, man. Yeah, just the play, little, pause, yeah. rewind, whatever. Exactly. But anyway, sorry. What's my take on students? What? Yeah. What's your feedback from students on the fact that you know we had to hunt around for bootlegs? Yeah. We had to go to shows and record them for them to become bootlegs. Speaking of YouTube and music, you know what? I only just learned this within the last two months. One of one of my one of the members of my teaching site pointed it out when um, we were talking about transcribing something and he mentioned that it wasn't on, he was having a hard time because it wasn't on YouTube. And what he meant by that was not that he couldn't find it, but that when it was on YouTube, he was using the half speed thing. You know, Uh, like you can watch a video at half speed. So I never even stopped to think about that, that they were using to, you know, there's so much music on YouTube, right. and if you play it at half speed, easier to transcribe. Yes. So YouTube was, like, oh was his gosh. transcription tool. Yes, was and YouTube. he was bummed because that video was no longer available. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is like so many steps removed from. I actually tried. Um, like when we moved to this place, uh, I got a record player. Okay. So now in our living room, I have an old school record player. We have a good stereo system in there. It's not a yeah. tube amp or anything, but it's yeah. a nice hi-fi with Boston acoustic speakers. Yeah. And I have my grandfather's record collection and I've picked up a few records. And man, it's such a different experience oh, listening to absolutely. an analog warm. I mean, you can sit in a chair and just listen to an album in a way that I've never really, uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I've listened to CDs so much over the years, but an album is a different thing. Yeah. So. I put on this. Uh, I, I bought one of my. The, the first record I bought was my was one of my is one of my all time favorites. It's Stan Getz sits in with the Oscar Peterson trio. Okay. So I bought the vinyl, and I and I wanted to try transcribing from the record from just because that's how people used to do it. Did you and turn it down would, to thirty three? No, actually, I, I didn't do that. No, <laughs> okay. I mean, um, I just wanted to see like how because I've never never tried. I wanted to be Putting like the needle back. Yeah. yeah. What, how how would this work? And and it does it does work. It's just that. And I was trying to like transport myself back to, so I know how I do it with CDs, right? right? And I wanted to go, well, what was it like before CDs? What were, what were people doing? Even without a slowdown feature. And you just have to be responsible for more. You yeah. have to pick your spot and you, you have to memorize, you know, you, you're going to play and you're going to freeze it. And it's gonna, and then you you have to really capture more of it in your mind. I was gonna say, did it train your ear to be capturing more information rather than thinking, oh, I'll just go back and get that again? Absolutely, okay. because it's such a pain in the butt. Yeah, so to, laborious. To go, so laborious <laughs> to go back and move that needle. And when you drop the needle, it's not gonna be yeah. in a very accurate spot. So you're gonna either it's either gonna be too late, yeah. and you're gonna be like, oh crap, I got yeah. I gotta go back further, right. or it's gonna be much earlier, and now you're waiting for that part. You know, so it's really tedious. And um, but totally possible. And you know, I that's a that's a, a discussion that's like it's really hard to say. Every, I feel like every generation can be like, well, when I was a kid, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know, I'll talk about sometimes knowing what album a song is on and what players are on or whatever. And somebody a generation older than me will talk about, well, I used to know what side yeah. it was on. Oh, right, and, right, right. And I don't know that information. So, yeah. so on the one hand, I feel like, well, far be it for me to criticize somebody who has no sense of context, except, of course, I can, I can say what They're I... Relative. Yeah, right, yeah. you know, because the, the biggest problem I see now with... With people consuming music that's it's so readily available is this lack of context. So, yeah. you know, I'll go to a school and I had this experience this spring where I did a clinic at an all-state thing in the Midwest. I, I'm spacing on what state it was right now, but um, you know, it was all-state. Yeah. And and I had a group of saxophone players and I was at and I was like asking about some players. Do you listen to this person? This person. I got a lot of blank stares. So I just said, all right, I'm going to name some names and you raise your hand when you heard of this person, yeah. you know, and I just start naming Stitt and Dexter and yeah. whatever, and nothing, no hands are going up for anybody, modern, dead, right. nothing, until I got to, um, I, I think Coltrane, and then okay. some hands went up, and then and then I said, oh, what Coltrane record? And then it became really interesting how they don't even know what album or what record, they're just, they what just, they heard on YouTube. They know this guy exists. Yeah, and then and one guy said he liked Cannonball, he said Cannonball, he raised his hand for Cannonball Adderley, and I said, um, what do you like about Cannonball Adderley or something? And he said, um, he said, well, the guy, the clinician who was here two years ago, basically sitting in the chair I was sitting uh-huh. in, he mentioned him, so I looked him up and he was bald and I thought that was cool. First wow. of all, he's not, he wasn't bald, he wasn't but bald, second no. of all, was just sort of 
you know, I, again, I was a room full of saxophone players yeah. for all state, and so and that's whatnot. amazing. Like, so what? More what music are they? is more music is available now to anybody and know than ever before, it. and people know less. Yeah, because I I, I took a I had a, a, a drive to San Diego. Uh, right, telling you the last couple yeah. days, right? So I, I grabbed one CD. I just you know I'll do this from sometimes. I'll just grab one, and I grabbed. Uh, Sonny Rollins' Nukes Time, oh, just yeah. because I haven't heard it in yeah. forever, yeah. you know? And it, A, brought back memories of that I did used to listen to it a bunch, but I have not listened to that CD in more than 10 years. Right. And one CD, though, over and over, you know, you, if you'll pick up, you learn so much just by repetitive listening to the same thing. Or, I've been doing that at the gym, picking one, you know, I normally work out for an hour, it's a solid CD length, right. although it's digitally, I'm streaming it through Spotify, I'll sure, pick sure. one album from one artist and listen to it, and that's been, yeah. Yeah, because the temptation is, like, I mean, I, I have Spotify and stuff too, and you know, it's like, you, you can just, I'm always like... What's next? What's new? Right. What's next? What's new? What's when new, my hands know, what, occupied you know. in the gym, they're on the bike or lifting weights or whatever, I'm not touching the, right. the fast forward or anything. Yeah, so I mean, I recently have started going back and just trying to just, I was going through some of my Coltrane albums, like the Atlantic Years stuff. Like yeah. I, li- I spent about mm, two weeks listening every day to Coltrane Plays the Blues and sometimes front to back, sometimes on shuffle, but that album, yeah. you know, or I would, I would just dedicate whatever that is, like 50 minutes. I would try to find 50 minutes to do it. I mean, it's a muscle. I actually had this conversation with Mike League, the bass player yeah, from Snarky Puppy. He was talking about recently, he has basically been trying to force himself to carve out an hour a day to listen to an album just to not lose the um, the the muscle of that kind of patience. And and, it, and I and I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it's tr- because like we all, there's so much stuff and there's so much distraction now that that is an actual muscle yeah. that you can, it can atrophy. Mine has definitely atrophied, yeah. you know. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, I know I'm grateful for the time that I like found my way into this music, like yeah. the time in the time period, the time period, yeah. and and the lack of what was available to me was a good thing, right? You know, and and the the the, the time, the way in which you and I and many other people of our kind of generation spent that time right you know what I mean yes we spent a lot of time listening tons and transcribing and practicing yeah rather than being you know distracted all over the place and it's hard now even though I know that's the right thing to do I now you know the world we live in now I mean whatever life's different I'm older I have more responsibilities it's you have fighting distraction is a is like a real thing imagine the option to practice without the fear of your cell phone going off be it a call or a text well nobody calls anyone anymore right right a text message or something or the computer going bing you know that oh I go to like I go to great extremes sometimes just sometimes for practicing sometimes just for for like I want to be with my family I'll put my phone in the glove compartment of my car or I'll turn off the router to the like main Wi-Fi or something because I'm of the mind that like you only have a limited this is not my quote I don't know who to attribute it to but you know it's scientifically proven that we only have a a limited supply of self-discipline per day like whatever that is whatever that muscle or that chemical and so you know like the decisions that you have to make on a day-to-day basis i don't sometimes i don't want one of them to be like the phone's in my pocket should i check it or not right. it's just easier to just not have it if i go out with my wife i'm like and i know we're all going to be together she doesn't like when i do this because she likes me to always like what if we separate and i right, need to right, reach right. you but I, I it's a totally different feeling if my phone is in my pocket or if my phone is in, in, away from somewhere me at else, all yeah. if it's somewhere else it's not even a thing i have yeah. to think about like, yeah of all of all my close friends that i talk to on a pretty regular basis you are the toughest guy to track down, I think. What, by phone? Yeah, like to call, like to actually have someone pick up the phone. I mean, not that I really call anyone, but right. I noticed that about you. Now you right. tell me that, that's like, yeah, that, yeah. that totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I take, I mean, I don't go, it's not like I'll, it's not for a long time, but um, but I'll do that. I definitely do that because yeah. I, I, I don't want to be available like every moment. I mean, I, I feel like I am anyway, but, yeah. but, I don't know. You know I, with kids too, it's like I, the the worst thing in the world to me is to be like there but not present, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, sure. or what? I, or rather, the other way is that like I want to be somebody. I read said it well. This is like I want to make sure I'm. 
present in their presence, right? You know, and I know, and, and it's not always possible. And sometimes it's like, oh, wait, wait, you know, like one of them is saying something to me, and but I'm in the middle of the thing, and yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay, wait, just one second, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. like when I'm, you know, when I'm 70 years old, I'm not going to be like wish, thinking back, wishing I could get that text, that text time back or exactly, something, you know. Exactly. So, but um, it's a challenge. Talk to me about the because we both, I mean, we followed fairly similar geographical paths. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that today, being in Boston together where we met in 98, yep. uh, moving to New York, being yep. roommates, <laughs> yep. um, and then eventually finding our way out both to the West Coast. Um, yeah, did you come out here first? By a month yeah. or something. Right. Like it really was like, I came out July. We, like, we both out made the decision to move out here separately, separately at the same time. Yeah. A right. similar thing with the vid- with the video lessons thing. Right. We were trying to get into that at the same time. And, right. and with the move to L.A., yours, obviously, a little more, um, you put some more thought into that because your wife is from here. So that right. was always a possibility, right. sort of my situation. But um, there, there was also that, you know, the transition of moving from what you were doing, you know, Jonah and even like back in Hank Lane type of things yeah. and... Don't say that name, or no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I know. I was, <laughs> I've been on the fence about whether no, to bring no. it up, but no, it I'm makes kidding. a I'm good. Teasing. I'm but teasing. it makes a good contrast, you yeah. know, like arriving in New York. For anyone who doesn't know who Hank Lane is, well, I'll let you describe yeah. who Hank well, Lane was is to you. I actually did meet Hank, Hank Lane. is is a guy, but he's also an, it's an agency. Right. It's a wedding band or whatever they call right. it in New York. Uh, club dates or casuals. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's it's a function band, and and the guy actually, uh, you know, on the one hand, I mean good for him man he built a he built this really big business empire, around you know yeah. built an empire you know and he's just a guy he was a guy who had a wedding band and then yeah. he, he basically started franchising it out but it's all under his name okay right. fine it just so happened that i um got into that experience through some friend. It, it's a, it was like a tough uh thing to get into yeah so getting into it was a big deal if i remember could, we yeah. were living together when yeah. you were doing it and um yeah. a friend of mine worked with them and i was waiting and always hoping for I think it was this saxophone player named Dan Pratt oh that's right and wasn't Albert Loisink involved in that as well I seem to remember you saying in the the horn section maybe yeah maybe some Berkeley guys like some Boston guys right that was the way in but like getting into that was was like uh, coveted might be too strong a word but when you're arriving in New York and you don't have any money and and you're trying to like find things to do to make some money that are still music related or whatever you know Um, so I did finally get in and but they didn't have, they don't have, tr- well, this is, Dude, I remember you telling me the story coming home from the first gig. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. As, but more, I remember the mental exhaustion. Yeah. You told me you just stood up for like four and a half, five yeah, hours. Yeah. But the mental exhaustion of somebody in your left ear going, we're going to play this line. Right, right, right. And then having to play it because right. there were no charts. Right. And there were 200 songs. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really tough. And I, my first gig was at the, was like at the Plaza At the Plaza, exactly. I remembered it. And it was a big band and a big band with no charts because they, because what they had or I don't know who knows now, it's been a long time, but they had, there was like a book, but it was like, it didn't exist on paper, but there was a Hank Lane way of playing all these tunes. So, so that was the brilliant part from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but the really rough part is, you know, for me as the player was like, you the idea was that you should be able to be at the plaza with this band leader on sat on Friday and out in Long Island with a different band leader on Saturday mm-hmm. and you never needed to rehearse yep. and nobody needed to worry about a giant like physical book mm-hmm. like the old school you know big band books and that like McDonald's you know you're going to like each customer each client would get the same result same because product, all yeah. the arrangements were stock. Super consistent. So what that meant was that you have guys, you had lifers in there. There were yeah. guys that like they'd been doing that gig for 20, 30 years. They knew, you know, like when you play well, like um da 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 what is that? Um the way you look tonight. Oh yeah. Classic staple, yep. right? There's the Hank Lane way right. of playing the horn parts on that. You're expected to know them, so I took my mini disc recorder to that first gig. Okay. And I and the the band leader, I, however it was, I got my shot, my in. You know, the the band leader knew that it was my first time with him, so it was like they make exceptions. Yeah. yeah. It, obviously, there was no way I was going to know the whole book, but yeah. the idea was like I was supposed to record the gig and definitely commit all that to memory. And I, you know, I always had a hard time with that just because. Um, it, it's like one thing to show up to a gig like that and read charts and 
and okay, fine, it's like low stress, but to, I mean, that's what I do with Snarky Puppy. I right. learn all this music by ear, but I love it. It's yeah, fun, yeah, right? Course. This is not, I didn't, there was no love there. It was just like, you know what I mean? So yeah. it was like, oh God, every week, Moon dance, I, you yeah. know, have like when one of those gigs would be coming up, it would be like Thursday and then yeah. Friday and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta like memory go to that mini disc and try yeah. to learn all these arrangements that i don't want to play yeah. and oh it was so rough man i i yeah i mean i was grateful for it but it was at first and then i and then i just was like oh god i can't i can't yeah. do it and i would flip-flop between doing those gigs and doing red bull you know yeah. like, because i was like all right you know what i'd rather do a like a, a job that has nothing to do with music and, and by doing red bull bob is not talking about sitting at home binging right. on red yes, bull yes, sorry, he's not sorry. shooting it up right I, I, I right i worked i worked for red bull energy drink uh for for years in new yeah. york off and on in different in different ways it was like a part-time oh thing. i remember that yeah. i i was the one suffering the side effects because the fridge would be full of red right bull right right i would drink it <laughs> and there was, right, do you right. remember the one night at the blue note I'm not sure. Okay, so so we had gone over there to the jam session. It used to be a Monday night jam session at the Blue Note. Okay. And the whole day I'd been home writing charts for something. Like I had a random band leader date coming up. And okay. I'd been writing charts. No, I didn't have Finale or Sibelius. Sure, no, sure. Handwritten charts. I'm writing them all out. I hadn't really eaten anything and I'd just been drinking Red Bulls. <laughs> oh so empty stomach, 12 Red Bulls. <laughs> and we went out to the jam session. I was still writing charts, sitting at the Blue Note in the back, you know, writing yeah, away yeah. to the point where my hand was shaking so violently that I could no longer notate music. Oh my gosh. Which was a side effect. I've, I haven't had a drop of Red Bull since then. <laughs> well, that was 2000. You might have had too many. <laughs> oh, I, you know me. Like, yeah, of course yeah. I had too many. Right, know, right, probably right. wasn't 12, it was probably 40. You know, right, right. But yeah, so I suffered a few of the side effects, but you did that on and off. Right? Yeah, well, I would just oscillate between like... You know, I would do that for a while and then I would be like, you know what? I yeah. can't do this anymore. I'd rather do a couple of wedding gigs yeah. and basically, you know, I was always like reassessing. Okay, so how many shifts at Red Bull to equal one wedding band? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I would just go back and forth. I mean, that that went on for years. Um, I remember one time being on the West Side Highway. In, it, the Red Bull gig was fine when we were just walking around as a pair, like, you would you were paired up with a person, yeah. so you would traipse around New with York for six hours with a backpack, handing out Red Bull, yeah. and and uh, it was actually that part was cool. Like you got to hang with somebody. Everybody doing that job was a aspiring dancer, musician, actor, actor you yeah. know, somebody in the Writer, creative field, yeah. right? And 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 actually, um, I can think of half dozen people who like have continued, like two actors, a dancer who ended up with their own company, a guy who went on to sell screenplays in yeah. the form of rock band, like people who ended up ended up doing really it. doing it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so it was a good crop but they introduced the mini cooper cars at oh some yeah point. i remember with and the then, huge can on the yeah, back yeah and then you had to drive around the city with this big can and that was really embarrassing to yeah. me so one time i was on the west side highway there's a rehearsal studio over there that i can't think of the name of Montana. like in the yeah maybe yeah. yeah yeah like in the 40s or exactly. something on 11th or 12th yep. and i'm sitting uh we we parked the car northbound on whatever that 11th, avenue is yeah. on 11th and we were supposed to sample that was the verb like to what they called giving out red bull sampling yeah. people and we're supposed to sample a subway sandwich restaurant and so like i was in the car or my partner got out of the car or something and i saw i looked across the street and walking southbound on the other side of the street were dave holland and chris potter and <laughs> billy kilson like <laughs> headed to that recording studio and you know th not that th like they weren't going to see me and know yeah. who I was, but I saw them and I, I like shrunk in my seat, you yeah. know, cause I was like in the driver's seat. Yeah. I was like, Oh God. I, I, I mean, I know Chris, but he, it, it, I yeah, was just no, like, no. I, I get the perspective. It was just like this yeah. whole thing. I was like, Oh, I'm in, I'm in New York and trying to play me. You know, it was a, it was a rough moment. And the, and I was always watching over my shoulder. Like I never wanted anybody that I knew from the music community to see me doing that. Right. You know, but that was just like my people. I was talking about with this with a kid yesterday. Like, so it's kind of hard to exist in New York. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Like that's Absolutely. part of the chat. You know, like it is hard. You know, hey, everybody man, I, finds different ways. I and, just ran up credit card debt and. Was I mean, you got to do something. Lot, you know, yeah. it was like I, you know, I didn't get the day job, and you know. That, that was just my choice, my part right, at the right. end of the day. And but, I got so, lucky. So th but, at yeah. a point like that, I decided to maybe go back. I remember thinking like, all right, I want to go back to the wedding band thing. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. like an example of like something would happen or then I'd do the wedding band thing for a while and I'd have some horrible band leader right. and I'd be like, all right, I'm going back Done. to Red Bull. Red you Bull. know? But then we get into like 
you know, 05, 06, and I guess most importantly for you, back end of 06 into 07. Yeah. Right, for the big, I mean, the, the break in terms of working yeah. full-time. Yes. Like, no nonsense, no bullshit. Right. 20,000 people a night. Yes, all for care. me, for me. All yeah. for you, of course <laughs> for you, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> but no, yeah. but seriously, like, that's, that's, a, that's a big leap forward. That's a yeah. big... Um, it's a big promotion. I mean, I guess I would imagine mentally as well, psychologically. Like, yeah, it was a big. It, it being the time, like, wow, all that nonsense that we've just spent 20 minutes talking about right. paying off. Like, it was all worth it. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, not that that was maybe. I would, and, and, and I don't know. What did you think at the time? I, I'm, I'm guessing you didn't think that you know, work starting to work with John Mayer was going to be the be all and end all of your career. I'm sure you didn't think Correct. at the time, right? You know, right. Because you continue, and a lot of people do think that they're like, uh -huh. oh, I've made it. Yeah. And here I am, and here I'm going to stay forever. Uh huh. Yeah. Which is. I'm not pretty sure. I remember you even talking about it before that you'd even played a single note of music with him, being like, well, there's there's a time limit on this. Yes. Just I'm not. It's, it's awesome make some bread yeah put some money away have fun right play big gigs but there's a time limit on this and i'm not acting like this is me for the rest of my career right which right. i think a lot of people make that mistake yeah i you know? know yeah i know some personally for sure um you know yes that's all that's true it was a, it was you know somebody said or i'm sure many people said but like uh life is a lot of small moments with a, a couple occasional big leaps right. something along those lines it's yeah. like a really botched paraphrase but yeah it's like lots and lots of little tiny things that don't really seem to add up to anything and if you're lucky you you know along the way you you have a you have a leap here yeah. and there yeah. you know and that was definitely a bit that was definitely one of them for me like youtube was really come like people were starting to film at shows and right. stuff was now like it wasn't just going on the road with John Mayer and that was it. You know, well, I had been, but I'd also like spent years playing with this guy, Jonah Smith. And, yeah, no, of and, course. And we tour in like, so I would do these gigs, um, you know, whatever, wedding gigs, Red Bull, all that stuff to save, to, to, to survive. And, yeah. and I didn't really save, but like, you know, anything to stay flat, anything, my, my New York experience up to that point was what do I have to do to string together a living that's flexible enough to allow me to, to at the more or less at the drop of a hat to go to Spain for six weeks to tour with Jonah yep. for not a lot of money, but just to do it right to play. I mean, and if I had a job at, if I worked for company X, Y, or Z, and it was yep. like a real job job, you know, yeah, like you years, been I couldn't have done that, you know? So I had to do all these like flexible elements, weird things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I spent years playing with Jonah, which I loved. And I, and I actually, you know, I, I lived in New York, but I wasn't, I wasn't like hanging at the, all the jazz jam sessions all late at night and everything. You know, I, I would, ra I mean, I wanted to be there to be around great players and get inspired and practice so, and do so stuff. So I, I didn't either. Yeah. You know, really super early on hanging with Nick. Yeah. Buying us, like we would go to Cleopatra's just because right. his apartment I used to crash yeah. it it was on Upper West Side and I was still in Boston but when I got to New York I didn't do so much of that right like maybe we have a similar reason why Why was your reason for what um, was your reason for not doing that so much I didn't like it okay so we have exactly the same reason <laughs> I mean <laughs> I also heard a cannibal quote yeah that he never went to jam sessions oh ever yeah hey, I remember hearing something At about something that too, about yeah. at the risk of not sounding like yourself well or not being in control of your own thing and you have the Kenny G analogy of course like the not sitting in unless oh okay well that's yeah a little bit it's similar but about his controlling his sound yeah um I mean, I think that was what probably what Cannibal was talking about in a primitive sense. Yeah, you know, I think I th showing up with a reverb unit and his microphones and engineer. But I think the Cannonball thing. I mean, obviously this is presumptuous because I have no way to verify. Right. But <laughs> but my sense from the Cannonball quote, and at least the way it resonated to me, was less about how you how the the product of your sound is. Like if, like the Kenny G thing is like he has a he and Chris Bodie, for instance, they have a way that they treat their sound yeah. you know with reverb and and stuff yeah. and and whether they're playing the blue note club yeah. or a big Hold theater the ball, yeah. their sound is the, the product of their sound is is everything to them right it's very important and 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 i can respect that totally yeah. i think with the cannonball thing 
uh, it was more about that when you're playing at a jam session, you lose control of the frame. So my brother said it to me this way once. He's like, my brother's a visual artist, and he's like, you know, because he, he was visiting me in New York with me in New York, and he saw me playing with somebody, and he afterwards he said, I was like, what did you think or whatever? He goes, hmm, wasn't the best frame for you. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? And, you know, and then he went on to explain, he's like, you know, yes, you are you and you play how you play. But in that, in that context, if you're the picture, the way you were framed did not, you know, didn't make you look good. And I, and that really stuck with me. So that came later, but I think that's what Cannonball was talking about. So you go to play some crappy jam session, you will be drawn down to their, no matter how good Cannonball is. yeah. Yeah. Like if he's playing with really shitty musicians he's not gonna sound the same and that that's always true i mean you can do as much as you can when you're playing with lesser experienced musicians to sound good but you're it's not going to be the same as when you're playing with great musicians you know there were a couple of guys remember Lionel? yeah of course like i i always felt like he could go and do his his thing was so strong right so strong right that it didn't matter whether the drama would drop 10 bpm every chorus right he could still be that imposing musical force and and, 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 and and i'm not i'm definitely not saying that my that decision was the right decision because you know i look back and a lot of it's social like i just i i didn't think as much about the social aspect as i probably should have you know the people who were hanging at cleopatra's yeah. glasper and mike moreno of course it and was the stri- you know, 99 like, social and yeah 1% music. yeah and yeah. i think that's another thing though that actually uh Nora would tell you that she often took the blame for this. I would, I would blame not going out on her. I'm like, okay. well, like because I'm, I, because I'm with you in this relationship, like, or you know, I'd be like, you would say that to her. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because she'd be like, because it'd be late at night. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a homebody, yeah. really, like at at heart, yeah. you know. Um, I, I never, I to this day, I still don't like going out, like leaving my house around. 10 o'clock 10, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean it just once I and get and that's when New York starts yeah and like, once I get to a place I'm like 99% of the time I'm happy cool, I went yeah, yeah. but that that getting over that hump of actually leaving was also a challenge so I would so so normal people who have like regular hours yeah. that's not the that's the time of night where they're like home watching something on TV before yeah, they go to bed or bed, whatever yeah. right so I would not go sometimes for those reasons and I would blame her, but it really was my own, it wasn't her, it yeah. was my own, I was using her as an excuse. So you put the two together, that and like, what am I leaving at 10 o'clock at night for so I can get to Cleopatra's and wait several hours to be like the 13th horn player on all the things you are yeah, at yeah, some yeah. breakneck tempo that like, what, how, you know what I mean? I'm not going to sound, what Stakes is- Stakes are so low, like what's yeah. the point? And you know, the geography living in Queens and getting into the city and the yeah. whole so, thing. Yeah, but- I'll say that, you know, pl- the experience of jam sessions is a completely like important. I mean, I I played, you know, I'm in New York at this point, yes, but in high school and in college, I mean, and I've what been about playing Wally's all the time. Yeah, Berkeley. We yeah. went to enough jam sessions Man, for the rest of our lives. So many, so <laughs> many. So it's so I'm not advocating don't go to yeah, jam yeah. sessions. It's just like there's a time. There's for a it. time, yeah. and and I felt like at that time for me, I'm in New York. I'm not in school anymore. I'm trying to you know, at the very nascent early stages of trying to develop a career, right. you know, was I going to, was that going to be the best frame for me even before I had that concept in mind? You yeah. know? And the answer was most of the time, no, what I was looking to do was play daytime, like house sessions with people. Yeah. I'd go over oh. to Aaron Goldberg's house well, that's the and thing. That was play with question some, was like, you know, private sessions. That yeah. was, that was the thing for me that was that New York was the best for. Yes. Because then you had so much control over the frame. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps in the beginning you were invited, but yep. then you were, like Aaron would call and be, well, who, do you, who should we get on drums? Right. Or who do you want to try? Who do you want to play with? And right, right. Awesome sessions. Yeah. And that was like making music and it was it was like really good. And stuff. that was where, the, for me, that was where the discovery happened, like the experimenting and like bringing tunes. And right. Like, you know, that kind yeah. Of I'm, I brought... Uh, I brought some of my early tunes to Aaron. Like that was another turning point for me. This is before, yeah, this is before I joined up with Mayer. This is like before I made my first album that you produced. Can't wait for 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 perfect. That was Um, five. We recorded in '05. Right, and it came out in '06. Exactly. and, I remember and, going to Aaron's to rehearse. Yeah, and yeah. and that was like so. I had these tunes that I was developing. I was playing them with a few different yeah. people. Dave Cook, keyboard player. Oh, like I would do sessions with him, and there were. Um, but I had 
brought them to a number of sessions with like various uh, more straight ahead players, mm -hmm. a jazz, like a bass player who's like, this guy, he's really good when you're playing yeah. standards and straight ahead. And then my tunes were different. Crossover um, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and, and they just every time I would leave those sessions, I would be bummed about my tunes. Yeah. And again, the frame thing applies here. Well, once I got to play them with Aaron, I realized like, oh, okay, the it wasn't the tune that was bad. I just had them in the I had I, I the casting was bad. Right. <laughs> I cast the wrong players. Movie you know? was great. Casting yeah. was bad. Yeah, it was a great script, <laughs> yeah. terrible casting. You know, and and that's really that was a lesson too. So when I got started, when I started doing that with Aaron, he really gave me a lot of confidence in that department. He was like, man, this is great. You should keep doing this yeah, yeah. or go more in this direction or, or whatever. Um, yeah, New York was good for that, huh? Like people being encouraging. Like yeah. finding people like that, keep. I mean, to I didn't have many. I wouldn't say I had many, but no, no, but a few key ones. Yeah, a few yeah. key ones, and um, and then each other as well. Yeah, I feel like there was like a group of us that moved there where we were always pretty, for sure, encouraging. Like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool, man. Oh, yeah, there's a, literally like a scene, you yeah. know. And I mean, if I could, if I could go back and do anything different, I would invest more in the scene mm -hmm. than I did. I was so concerned in, in my own yeah. uh, generation. Exactly. I was so concerned with the generation above right. or ahead. We you know, were always, like trying always to get chasing that. Yeah, right? like I, I so desperately wanted chasing a generation that no longer exists at yeah, your or, age. Yeah, or just know? like you know, they have their people to, and I'm, I wanted them to. I, I mean, you know, it was just my ego, like desperate for. I mean, it's, I don't say like desperate for attention. I mean, I wanted to play with those people. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, course, you know, yeah. but um, so there's a positive there too, because like. That also drives you to, I mean, at least drives me or drove me to, you know, to, to keep trying to do my best to get better and Absolutely. stuff. But, but looking back, you know, um, when, what you see over time or is like, oh, wow, like this whole crop of people kind of rose at the same time, yep. you know, and, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I'm totally yeah. happy. But at the, when I look back at that, I'm like, okay, that's something I would change, you know? And that sort of goes back to the jam session thing. If, if I were to do it now, if I could go back in time, I would realize that like, all right, going out and having a couple of drinks at that place and not even playing would have been just as Walking cool. in without your instrument, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even consider that, consider that at the time. Although that in and of itself was another challenge because like I had no money. Yeah. So like to go out and hang and, and socialize, and, socialize and, drink. and drink, like I didn't New have prices, money yeah, for forget that. About it. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. And I'm, I'm pretty glad we went to New York at that time and not to LA. Oh, not that 100%. I think LA was on either of our radars, but for Walter, for instance, it was immediate. Yeah. He rolled out, you know, he like finished school when he, I think in grad school or whatever. And then it was like, oh, he always wanted to go to LA and that was it. Yeah, that's yeah. that. Isn't that's that always like, it is kind of crazy. To uh, me. The most kind of New York guy out of all of us. Yeah, you know. I mean, he had a situation that he obviously. He, I feel like he's always had a pretty strong vision for what his path was. Oh, for sure, for sure. And and you know, I think now he's teaching at Indiana. Yeah, that's crazy. I, think I that's, saw that on Facebook. That's what. Right? That's what he always wanted. Is I'm he not, commuting out there? I actually, I haven't caught up with him in a while. I, I don't know. I haven't spoke to him because because his wife teaches here. Yeah, it teaches school here, so I don't know. Um. You know, he, yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. I just know yeah. that uh, I think his end game was that. Yeah. I, not not to say Indiana, right. but like he's the been West Coast and developing a, a career and... that led him towards being having a position in like yeah. that at a college. In education. And I remember him and Kendrick and Angelil, I think, all doing education majors. Like right. The, yeah. He's an education major, thing, and he did. Right, right. You know, he's done all. He's got plenty of degrees. Yeah, and yeah. All that kind of stuff. But the as far as the de decision for uh, him moving west, like I think, well, he'd spent time out here for the Monk Institute. Yeah, for sure. And got a taste of like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, actually, you know, you know, if I think I if I'd got a taste for it early on maybe I would have moved out here. Right. And the, the life, the, the quality of life thing would have overridden the hunger for music. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean... I, I don't think that would have ultimately been a good thing for the development yeah. of my career and I'm glad it ended up the way it did. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's timing. You know, I mean, I Walter was able to... You know, he had his he had his group of people and his connections yeah. that like, weren't going to suffer by him. I don't know. Right. I mean, I'm not... 
I, I'm in no place to talk about him. Just from yeah. what it seems like, sure. it seems like he, you know, it wasn't like he moved out here and stopped playing in New York. I oh guess yeah, what I'm no. Saying. He was on. He's been on tour. He's, he's been playing, playing more than us. Yeah, in New York. yeah. He's playing. He's always had. He's always had yeah. gigs, and yeah. you know, so it wasn't really an issue. For it's him. crazy going back to New York now, and how yes. much threshold for it. And I know you're the same way. It's like it's pretty. I can't wait. Short lived. Yeah, it's very like I, I enjoy going airport. back for a day or t- day <laughs> exactly. or two, and then like get me out of here, yeah. man. I feel so claustrophobic. Especially there. like July, 102 degrees, trash piled in the street, just yeah. stinking. Life is just rough, you know. Like, I mean, I was there. February. I was there a couple weeks ago, yeah. and the weather was nice. Like New York okay. in September is amazing, right? Well, and I was there. There are six weeks a year: three right. weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall. But still, driving from the airport to wherever the heck I was going in Brooklyn or something, you know, just it was night and seeing as I'm on one of the like um, Grand nice Central Parkway oh, or okay. wherever I'm coming from the airport, yeah. right? Like seeing people, at, and I saw this one building, and there were. You know, I was looking up at an apartment, and it's nighttime, and I saw like a dad and his son looking out, and it's like looking at a um, honeycomb of yeah. bees. Yeah, yeah. All these people and all these tiny little boxes and yeah. these windows, like, and I just it was like, I felt claustrophobic. I don't know how else to describe it. I was like, oh my god. But and we lived there, dude. Yeah, you know what? You, it's amazing <laughs> what you what you adapt to. I mean, humans. But it's amazing what, what what level your tolerance is at in your early twenties. Yes, that's the to time to do 30s. it. Absolutely, it's yeah, the time yeah. to do it. I mean. Yeah, that's. I never understood when my father-in-law, I mean, even before he was technically that, like when he would visit and he would say those things, and I yeah. lived there, and I'm like, what are you talking about? This place, it's great. It's awesome, you yeah. know, it's great. And now, now I, I understand yeah. more. You know? I was that. I was the the way I am with New York now. I was with LA then. Like mm-hmm. I would come here to work and come mm-hmm. here to play gigs and sessions and stuff, and just be like, get me, get me out of I here. I don't understand it. Right. But now I don't ever. The only person I work here with is you. Mm. <laughs> Like yeah. you are the only person I play gigs with in LA pretty much right you know and until we played recently that it was a year ago yeah that I did that with well, you because like, that because well, you haven't been around well, there is yeah. that but yeah. you know yeah you know you work with Sean sometimes or organ play whatever like right. I'm not, I don't necessarily do all of your gigs and right you know, you you travel, so yeah. it wasn't like we would you would jam solid with gigs the whole year. No, 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 you know no, what I mean. Exactly. So no. even if I was gone or not, man. I, but as soon as I f- figured that out, like L.A. is a great place to live, the right. quality of life. As long yeah. as I don't have to get involved in the day to day bullshit of the scene. Yeah, I mean, I mean there like, there you know there are different scenes here. Oh, for totally. sure. And I have a you know, huge appreciation. Not that I'm a, a taller part of it, but the more I hang with guys like you know, I hung with Chris Cheney recently. Oh, uh, who's yeah, just, un, just unbelievable. Yeah, you know, human being and bass player musician. He's like a Sean Hurley, like yeah, that kind of thing. Those was, two guys are at the top. That's of the it. Food chain for this, they are the food yeah, chain. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone else is looking from the outside looking in right. because they do all the dates right and it's a beautiful lifestyle you yeah know? If, if that if that's the way you're wired and you yeah know, you like playing other people's music or you're really good in the studio whatever it is I, I have a definite appreciation for that yeah but it's also something they've invested 20 years of yep. their life into yeah know? exactly again yeah. it goes back to like an early vision of what you know another amazing example I've been listening to this podcast I'd hit that Oh yeah, the the drumming podcast. I've heard a few of those. Yeah, great, yeah. awesome. And uh, Sterloid was on there. Uh-huh. I think he's been on there twice. He's been on there twice. I heard one with him. The somewhere. first one I heard. I think I heard the second where he's talking uh, about like he, I'm like halfway through the second where one where he now. talks about like hitting a, a ironing board or something. Like oh, that. I haven't got there yet. Okay, okay. Right. But the first one he he was talking about like he just never played live. Correct. And like. He said it was, you know, and 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 he kind of knew it was looming with John when he started working with him, and like right. that was the and John kind of like, wow, you never played live, like, right? He likes being in the studio. What's up with that, <laughs> you know? And yeah, yeah, but started recording when he was like sixteen years old and never and, looked back. Yeah, and the, the, you know, I think the reason I bring that up is just to emphasize to people how committed you have to be to go to the top of any scene anything know, it's to, yeah, to yeah anything yeah. never mind music but sure uh, you know especially like you, you really can count on one hand on each instrument the yeah. people who do that yeah you know, it's like an, an unbelievable commitment yeah and it's something i used and to aspire to when i was young yeah like i wanted to be nathan east or neil steubenhouse or Lee neil Slar. that guy that's he, that's he's like the sean hurley chris cheney of a of the generation before generation before yeah. and now he does like like Barbara Streisand yeah. or massive I played a, I played at the baked potato with him one time I, yeah. I can't remember who whose band it was but uh-huh. dude that his his sound is like a mile wide oh, it's huge he, he reminded me like of 
like Harry Shearer or something like in, <laughs> in looks like I, if you had told me if I had just seen him yeah. and like, I wouldn't have, and you, and then you told me he's like one of the most like recorded, recorded bass players. Bass players. Yeah, yeah. I'm like that guy, yeah. dude, he picks up that thing. The bass looks huge on him yeah. and wow, he's, yeah. he's a monster, but yeah, it's Real. a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a dedication to a, a very particular type of craft, you know, yeah. and to playing in a very, I mean, I I feel like some of the the things that I would want to say as positives might come off sounding like negatives, you Go know. But but like playing in a very precise and polished way, uh-huh. and like you know the like uh, I don't know. I mean, I just mean that in the best of ways. Like yeah. there's a reason why these guys are called to to do recordings. Well, you do more and more of that these days. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. you and Rashawn are like a. Legit yeah. horn section, you know. Yeah, like you yeah. Guys go and do TV and records and. Yep. And I mean, I that's something I get to do here that I definitely didn't do, and I don't know really exists as much in New York. Like I'll do. I don't think it does anymore. Yeah, I'll do yeah. the Voice. You know, every twice a year. Yeah. I mean, not twice a year. Like there's two seasons a yeah. year, so I'll do a handful each season at right. the end. And I, lo- I actually really enjoy that because it reminds me of when I was a kid and getting. Um, I used to get this magazine called Saxophone Journal. <laughs> Which doesn't exist anymore. Okay, we I need a think. quick geek alert here. Yeah. Saxophone and, Journal. And there was an issue with Michael Brecker, and it just was like, I mean, I, you know, yeah. kind of like records. Like I had a couple of these magazines, yeah. and I, I would read them over and over again. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. read the same interview multiple yeah. times. And the one with Brecker was from the 80s, right around the time he put out his first record on Michael Impulse, Brecker, just yeah. called Michael Brecker. Yeah. And, uh, he was doing tons of studio work, you know, like tons and tons yeah, of like studio work. Yeah, like five or six sessions a day. He had a separate apartment in the city because he couldn't he didn't have time to go back home to Hastings on Hudson right. to get back to the city for the next session the next day. Yeah, that's it's, that's what he what he, <laughs> how much that there was. Yeah. And so he talked about this like uh you know the the idea of being able to when the red light goes on just what it, something's put in front of you you're and you're on and yeah. that's it in one take. I mean, I was a bad reader at the start, like sight reading for me was something I always had to work really hard on. And so at that time that just blew my mind that somebody could that you could do that yeah. you know so when I do it not to compare the two exactly but that's I think back to that when I'm doing the voice yeah. because it is it's, it's close to that yeah. yeah you show up on a Saturday morning on the sound stage yeah. with a bunch of other horn players that like now I, I know a lot of them but right. you know you might not know them and you've never seen the music and yeah. there's been no preparation and you get on and the musical director like talks you down the chart yeah. and they put some mics on your bells yeah. and you know, there's a whole studio of people waiting and time is money, etc. And they're Pressure. like, go. Yeah. And you do not want to be the guy that has, that causes the do over. Yeah. And it's, and, I, I can't it's hard to describe to people the pressure even if you're talking about like whole notes and eighth notes oh, yeah. and you know, even if musically what's on the chart is not if Some, you're a half step, if you're a, 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 a an eighth note off, yeah, on a hot is it, like yeah. if you create that flam, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's like okay, yeah, from the top. So it's hard. So like it's a whole mental exercise to not psych yourself out yeah. for this stuff, and it's a complete. It's a challenge that I do not experience in any other strain of what I do. So I really enjoy, yeah, you know that that's a component that like. How much did you think about that? How much was that an issue when you were doing something which is, to me, kind of a combination of the two, which was doing the snarky puppy stuff because that was being filmed, oh, yeah. that's yeah. in the studio, it's live, that's yeah. a lot of people, it's a lot of pressure. that's a lot of music, like way lot. more music yeah. than you would ever play on 20 episodes of The Voice. Oh, God, yeah. And 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 not only that, are you in the section, but you're featured as well. Right, Obviously, right. there's the classic moment where your headphones fall off, anyone yep. can go check this out on YouTube, but... How much did that play into it in that situation? Because that's quite a unique situation. How much did the what? Like the, thinking about it, like you um, know. Like, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, everything helps. Everything you do helps you, like train you for everything else you continue to do, right? right. So, I mean, I'm sure that on some level, um, I mean, before this, before I recorded with Snarky, I'd never recorded that way, live, live in front of band. an audience with a whole band in yeah. front of an audience. Okay, I'd never done that, um, but. Doing you know doing work on the voice and a couple it was another TV show I worked on called the Bonnie Hunt Show for yeah. about a year and a half and you know so I'd had experience playing like live on TV yeah. or recording in a under in pressure, you know yeah. under pressure but the music you can't even compare the yeah. two in terms of the precision yeah. um, and in fact we just I just went to New York a couple weeks ago to do some 
to shoot some video lessons with Snarky with the horn section. Okay. And we were talking about this, like the, the precision, because a lot of the stuff is very unison. You know, some yeah. of it's harmonized, but but man, people would freak if they knew how how precise. Like some at sound checks, like we might run a tune or something on tour, and and, and we'll and Mike League will be like, actually, it's not, it's not, it's you know, yeah. like that. And, and some people listening that. might not notice the difference. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? But there is a difference. Hey, and he wrote and, it and he knows yeah, it. <laughs> and that's the level of precision that that band is operating under. So, so yes, to, with the cameras on and, and yeah. all that, and there's no, I mean, it, so I guess I would say that um, I, I remember being like aware of that. And all I could do was I was cramming so hard on yeah. that We Like It Here session. I had three, we, had, we all had three days to learn the material that we were going to record. The disadvantage I had was that three of the major tunes that we tracked on that album, they had at least been out on the road playing and I hadn't. So like Lingus and um, What About Me and maybe there was one other that were tricky tunes yeah. and I had and they were they were also new to me the rest of them were new to everybody so okay. everybody's off in a corner like every free moment just yeah. with headphones and trying to and so like that there again my experience transcribing solos for 15 plus years yeah. it's the only reason Quick I was reaction. able to do that and there's no slowing stuff down and writing yeah. stuff down on paper yeah. so if I didn't have the skills that I've built up you know that I'm always like shouting to my students you know shouting from the rooftops about transcribing and doing it in real time and not writing it down and all this stuff that's how I learned all that music and that's how I was able to retain that music and you're like it's like cramming for an exam you know and then you're just holding it in this bubble and then when the the cameras are rolling and all that stuff well you know like it wasn't my first time being under under pressure so it all comes into play you know the the years playing stadiums with John, like, yeah. you know, that was a different kind of nerves, even though what I was playing in terms of horn parts was not at the same level of adventure as right. the snarky tunes. They're, they're different pressure, but it's the same. And it's a different relationship with the artist then as well, you know, one which developed yeah. over the years that you play with him. Yeah, right? but just like all of the, like the voice or John or snarky, all of them have like their own or their own level of like pressure and that you don't want to mess up and you want to deliver at the top of your game, you know, just wanting to ace it, you know? Do you Um, think in terms of like a professional athlete that trains for a certain event, like the Olympics, they want to peak at that time. Do you think that's a, those are micro, uh, uh, instances of that where you want to be peaking in the studio or you want to be peaking on the gig, or maybe that happens in the space of one day instead of two years training for an event. Do you have that through your day? You're like, okay, tonight I'm playing with John. We're at Giant Stadium, and I, I know I'm going to go out and play this solo on whatever tune it is, you know. Yeah, I just think of trying in all those instances to just uh, be as, like, limber and open as possible. Mm-hmm. That's my only agenda, you know. So you have a maintenance routine. Yeah, I mean. You, that you can really sit on and be like, I am confident that I'm going to play the minimum at this level. Oh and yeah, that, uh, that is acceptable to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In turn, I mean, like, you know, like with with John or something. There's gonna be. How can I put this? I mean, I know what I know what my uh, job is. Yeah. You know, and both in playing parts and playing solos. And so, if it, so let's say it's this song, and I know I'm gonna have a solo. My thought is not like, well, I'm going to really try to take it. So I, I look for ways to make it interesting while still delivering the same result, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and the same with Snarky, too. Like, we, you know, we, it's actually weirder now that, that I've gone out and when I've gone out and toured with them to play, for instance, or we play Outlier live because that's actually a more trippy thing because of like that video yeah. and there's like this thing that's out there and i've also heard it and know it and so like that's to great, try to yeah. not think about it but like also know what it's that's so are you really thinking about trippy. audience expectations yeah. because of how much that thing's been viewed yeah i mean okay. in a certain way i'm trying not to but i'm also aware right of and it, how yeah. percentage wise how often like 80 90 percent of the time you think you can actually get away from that and, and play fresh or how you know much i do think, you think that availability 
like it's a YouTube thing. It's like spread all over the world. How much do you think of the availability of music affects your performance on a show like that? You know, like it, it does. It does. It does. Yeah. Like I know that, for instance, when when I worked with, with John, like no, there wasn't an expectation in the audience for how is this guy gonna like. Right. They're not really paying attention. There, there was, only, was though for John, I would imagine. No, I think. Well, I mean, like I think. Well, for John, no, but and not like, for the audience. From the audience, I, I thought. Well, I just think that. Because the way he used to, like, he plays, like, a lot of same notes from solos, at least in the beginning of them, from the record. Right. Yeah, but for my part, I mean, like, I, I, you know. So it was more on him, less on you. Yeah, the the only expectation was, like, amongst me and him and the band and and whatnot. You know, like, I knew I was going to do something that was going to, you know, I knew kind of, like, I always knew a sense of whatever the arc was going to be, that whatever. But with the snarky thing, that's, like, that's been... Uh, of challenge, yeah. you know, in the live environment. Yeah. You know, Mike is really cool in, in the way that he uh, breaks stuff up. So, so night after night, people aren't soloing on the same material. So, oh, that's cool. you might play. We might be somewhere on one night, and and first of all, we're not going to play the same songs every night. Some yeah. there's a couple, yeah. right? But let's say Outlier would come up once over the course of a week of shows, not every wow. night okay. or twice. You know, or maybe it'd come up twice, but only once would I solo on it. Okay. And then, like he moves the solos around, Good you know. Leader, man. So, like for instance, I remember one. I, I think a couple of times I've played on, um, like Lingus. Well, Lingus has this famous Corey Henry solo on it now. Right. So there's a different expectation there. Yeah. Whoever gets handed Lingus <laughs> at the end of the night, it's like. Yeah, good oh, luck, buddy. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, and I didn't even play on that, but yeah. but Corey did, yeah. and like we, you know, and so Corey's not even in the band he's, anymore. He's like. not even there, and yet it's like so that's a different expectation because it's yeah. like you're being now. There's like this thing. It's like there. So I'm aware of it, but I'm tr- but I'm definitely trying not to be think. If you're thinking about it in the moment, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, of course. Absolutely. So I'm I'm aware of it, but I'm not actively being like, oh my god, I have to play something real. I just want to be open. Kind of chuckle to yourself about it, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> it's what you know on the time, whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever yeah. the thing is, I just want to like be as present as possible yeah. and be super engaged with the musicians I'm playing with. So whether it's Larnell or whether it's Spud or whether it's JT, like, I mean, I'm always like really tuned into. The, the dialogue with the yeah. drums um, and 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 everybody else you know if Justin throws this chord like that's the whole thing right that's the that's the re, that's the drug is like is making this music right now yeah. and and seeing what's different what happens and going with that yeah. so you can't you cannot do that if you are simultaneously trying to hold on to a personal agenda of how what you or how you want to play. Sure. I can't I can't go out and be like, all right, I want to play this and play that, without ignoring what's going on. <laughs> exactly. So you have to choose one or the other, and I'll always choose like the moment yeah. and seeing what happens. So that's why I say when I want to be limber and open, it's not that I have like a I don't have a particular like warm up routine that oh my god if I don't go through it I'm, I won't. You know, I can't perform. Yeah. It's more that I, I any warm up I do, anything I do on the horn is to just try to get everything as loose and limber as possible in chromatically and through the whole. Re- so yeah. like it's a it's an open it's a blank slate, blank slate. and I can go out and just let it happen. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. That's a great sentiment to end on. Cool. Let it happen. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of Welcome, man. Tea with Yannick. <laughs> tea with Yannick was Della. Yes. All right. <laughs> so for more info about Bob Reynolds, go to bobreynoldsmusic.com and uh, to check out Bob's incredible video lesson site, go to lessons.bobreynoldsmusic.com. Um, sign his mailing list. He does a great job of engaging and speaking with his audience and his fans and he will always keep you well informed about what he's doing um there's there's always some stuff going on with the two of us as well which is really cool so you'll find out about that as well um but yeah bobreynoldsmusic.com um and like i said at the beginning of the podcast if you're looking for some inspiration to populate your practice routine go to store.yannickguizdala.com where you can get complete collections bundled together now. I've written a bunch of books now, I've recorded a bunch of audio courses, and it's a great thing for you guys because I can bundle all those together for a really killer price and a killer deal. So go to store.yannickguizdala.com to check that out. Thanks for listening to the Yannick Guizdala podcast.